0: So I've got a question for you, good Christian. Are you running around naked? Are you running around naked? And I, In uh, high school I had this shirt that I used to take great delight wearing and my brother Tyler can attest to it. It said on the front, don't fight naked. And on the back it said, put on the full armor of God. Well today, we're not talking about armor, but we're talking about garments, garments of righteousness. It comes, the main fact here comes from the Revelation passage that Holly read for us. This is on the fourth page of the insert from the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, specifically Verse 7, "...let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." So when I ask you, are you running around spiritually naked? What am I asking you? What are your righteous deeds? Are they being formed in you? Are you indeed running around showing forth the love of Christ as he commanded us to do when he says that we are to love one another? And today's entire sermon takes shape out of the last two verses of the gospel look with me at that again on page four in the insert or in your bibles john chapter 13 verse 34 and 35 a new commandment jesus says i give to you that you love one another Just as I've loved you, so also are you to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Now, if you've ever been in a football stadium when a streaker came out, you know, someone running across the field naked, that person is never missed. But this scripture verse is saying that when we run around clothed spiritually, we're not going to be missed either. You can't help but to see the person who's running around in righteous deeds. But there's a corollary here, and that is that if you're just trying to do righteous deeds, you will fail. If you noticed in that Revelation passage, It has been granted to the church to be clothed in such a way. And so we ask ourselves, what is that granting that goes on? What is it that enables us to have righteous deeds? It is the love of God for us. We're going to talk a little bit about that love today. And we're going to talk about confusion about love. And we're going to talk about what stands in the way of that love and why sometimes Christians unnecessarily run around spiritually naked. Love one another, brethren. When I hear the phrase, what is love, that 1993 song from Hathaway always starts playing in my mind. Do you remember it? What is love? Don't let, don't baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me no more. And then the techno starts going, right? <laughs> now you don't want me to sing the rest of it. What is love? What is love? Love's a complicated word, isn't it? What does it mean? It's just one of those words in English that's extra flexible. There's lots of words in English that are flexible, but this one particularly has a lot of different meanings, right? I can say, I love pizza. And I do. love pizza and wings. But it can mean something as simple as that, all the way to something like, Jesus extended his loving arms upon the hard wood of the cross. Those two things are both love, but they're very different types of love, right? The Greeks had a much better solution. The Greeks had several words for love. You've probably heard these if you've been in the church for any amount of time. There's three words in Greek for love. And very simply, pastors will talk about them in this way. They'll say eros is sexual love, phileo is brotherly love, and agapao is... Self-sacrificial love. Actually, that's the verb. But it's more complicated than that, actually. So, let's look a little bit on love. Today, we're going to draw a contrast between two types of love. There's the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is used here in this gospel passage, as well as other places. And that love is agapao. Agapao. And there's another word which our culture predominantly would fall into when it uses the word love, and that's the word eros. Eros. But you see, eros isn't just sexual, right? That's, that's kind of a, a misnomer. Eros is a lot more than that. So let's look at eros first, because I think sometimes by going the via negativa, we can see more clearly what God's love is. What is God's love not. Well, God's love is not worldly love. You don't have to look any farther than social media or commercials or advertisements or TV shows to see that the world is full of peddling worldly love. It doesn't, doesn't uh, conflict, right? I mean, it's the world, so they're going to peddle worldly love. You know, if you look at any of those things, you'll hear things like... Uh, If you use our travel agency, it'll quench your love of exploration, right? That that one's been particularly in my feed for some reason. I think it's Expedia. If you switch your insurance company, you won't have to give up those things which you love. Sign on to our cause and you will have the significance of loving. Use our cologne and you'll gain that respect that you love so much. Often, worldly love tries to pass itself off as something more noble, too. But when you dig down to it, worldly love is nothing more than the satiation of a desire, a craving, a lust, a want. As the tragic character in Mad Men, Don Draper, says, in one of the episodes, when he's talking to a woman, he says, well, by love, do you mean a big lightning bolt in the heart where you can't eat and you can't work and you just run off and get married and make babies? The reason you haven't felt that love is because it doesn't exist. What you call love was invented by guys like me, that is, admin, to sell nylons. Of course, Don Draper is wrong, as the rest of the series shows, right? Right? This man follows his desires, his worldly love, to his own destruction. And love is much more, much more powerful than just a sales tactic. But because it's so powerful, worldly love is an effective sales tactic. It can be very powerful and sincere, it can be very passionate, it can even be beautiful and good. And one thing that I want you to hear is that worldly love is not intrinsically bad, but it's bad when it's the only love you're looking for. Worldly love can make people do crazy things, some of which destroy their lives. And the reason that worldly love is so compelling is that it can drive people to get massively in debt or risk their values and principles, even their souls. Why can it do that? Because... Worldly love is driven by the self. The self. It's driven by the self and the cravings and the lusts and the desires in the human heart only. That desire to be included and accepted so that you'll hang out with anybody, even if they're bad for you. Right? We see that with teenagers. We see it with adults too, let's be honest. The desire to be recognized... And heard can lead to illegal behavior masked in great devotion to a cause, right? We see that on display all over the place. People justify terrible behavior because they love their cause. The desire to be sexually fulfilled has led many to make bad decisions and wrap themselves up and get twisted up in worldly love. Concupiscence is the theological word for that kind of love and St. Paul talks about it in in terms like desire or lust in his epistles. The Greeks called that type of love, that self-driven, desire-driven love, eros. Do you see? It's not just sexual. It's much more. It's every desire that originates in the heart. As one of the great Greek scholars puts it in his lexicon, Eros is a general love of the world seeking satisfaction where it can, determined by an indefinite impulse towards its object. Eros seeks in others the fulfillment of its own hunger. Let me say that again because it's profound. Eros is a general love of the world seeking satisfaction where it can determined by an indefinite impulsion towards its object and Eros seeks in others the fulfillment of its own hunger you can see why it maps so well onto advertising because it's all about consuming it's all about consumption It's all about trying to fulfill that impulse with something. That desire with something. And most of the time when our culture talks about love, this is what they mean. Whether it's a cause, whether it's a product, whether it's a relationship. What can I get out of that? What can I have from that? It's selfish. It's self-driven. Such love is necessary, however, for human existence, right? So in its right context, it's okay, right? We wouldn't fault a child for having the desire to eat or the desire for emotion. And so that type of love is part of our nature, but when it's overpowering and twisted, and the only part of us, it twists us. In his epistle, St. Peter writes to the church, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, he says that when we're driven by worldly love, we become like the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, people driven by their sensuality, irrational creatures, fit for destruction. And the world outside of Christ says, yeah, do it, go for it. Find yourself. Find your true self. Find your fulfillment. Let your desires play out. But that's a road to destruction. At the very least in two different ways. There's the cynical way. The cynical person who goes down that road and finds out that none of those things quench the desire. In fact, the desire and the craving just gets worse. Have you been there? Have you known people like that? The ultimate end for such people sometimes ends up in self-mutilation and suicide because they can't feel anything. And they can't find an end, a quenching of that desire. And they fall into despair and despondency. There's another way that that road leads to. It's the person that just keeps plugging in those different things to that desire. So they'll go down one road of, of want or desire so far and that won't satiate them. But then they'll go down another road and, and you know they'll just keep going down these different roads of worldly love until they die. Right? Until they die a natural death. never Having never found any contentment or satiation. Have you ever been there in a part of your life or seen that on display? Well, that type of love, obviously... The love that leads to destruction is not what Jesus is talking about when he says, love one another, or when he says, I've loved you. No, Jesus is talking about something that is the exact opposite of this worldly love. It's called, I'll call it at least, Christian love. Christian love. In older English, it was called charity but charity has been reduced now to money-giving. Charity is one of the divine virtues, so let's call it Christian love. In the Greek, it's agapao. In the Latin, it's caritas. It's a word behind Jesus' commandment, both to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. That summary of the law, we say, every liturgy at the beginning. And it's the love that drives us, and it's the love that grants us the ability to do righteous deeds. So, in that Greek lexicon, if you look it up, and note how different this is from the first word, agapao is a love which makes distinctions. Choosing and keeping its object. Agapao is a love that is free and decisive action, determined by its subject. Agapao is a love that relates, for the most part, to the love of God. And, hear this, this is the final part of the definition, it is a love that doesn't use people, but rather is the higher, lifting up the lower. The higher lifting up the lower. Sometimes in our English translation, it's translated showing love to help us make the distinction. Right? Because cause in our mind, we're, we're so ingrained to think of love as the satiation of desire that sometimes in, in the English translations, it's to show love, to kind of give that, push it out of us and put the focus on something else. But it's a choice, a choice, not a feeling. Although feelings come with it. It's a choice. And interestingly, when we engage in this kind of love, the rest is added to us. Because that's the love that we're designed for. So when we look at Jesus Christ, we see how he embodies this agapao. He chose to set aside his standing as God. Philippians 2 says He chose to humble Himself to become a man and die upon the cross. He condescended to us. He was the higher that became the lower. And Jesus' love is to lay down His life so that we might be saved. For our behalf, His act of rescue was not something that He had to do, it wasn't something that he was driven to do by some impulse. It was something that he chose to do for us. For us. That, friends, is agapao. That is Christian love. A love not driven by the self, but a love driven by God. You might be thinking to yourself, well, Father Sean, how can we even have such a love? It's unnatural. And the answer to that is, yes, it is. It's, it's in fact not natural. It's supernatural. It's the type of love that you cannot have without the Holy Spirit. When Jesus commands us to love one another without the Holy Spirit, he's setting you up for disaster. It's why when the world tries to apply the golden rule, it fails so miserably. It's why when people who are supposedly Christians try to apply Jesus' commandment without the power of the Holy Spirit, they too will fail miserably and make a wreck of it. Because, you see, this type of love, this charity has to be poured into us. When we look at the definition of Christian love, we see our Lord Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God. But the the kicker is that he gives us the ability to love our neighbor and to love him with this type of love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we read St. Paul talk about this, where he says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and given to us. And the truth is, friends, that God doesn't just initially pour into your heart. He continually pours into your heart that charity, that Christian love by His Holy Spirit. And with the power of that Christian love, you then can love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you can love your neighbor As yourself what does that Christian love look like you might be asking well that type of love is outlined in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 I always joke and say this is the passage not really meant for weddings although it is crucial in Christian marriage but it's always read, read at weddings 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. If it helps you, put a different word in. Charity is patient. Christian love is patient. Christian love is long-spirited. It is kind. It's mild. And it's useful. I'm expanding the verses. Love does not envy. Well, what's that mean? It's not heated desire, if you dig into the Greek. Love or charity does not boast. It doesn't puff up. It's not arrogant. And it's not rude. Christian love or charity does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Christian love or charity bears all things. It endures. It believes all things. Well, what's that mean? That's not, not to doesn't mean that you're a fool. It means that you always think the best of someone else. You always take the best interpretation of what a Christian brother or sister is saying. It hopes. And it trusts. It endures. And St. Paul says that it never ends. Here's the clincher. This Christian love, this agapao, holds what the world desires and longs for but what the world can never attain of itself it holds and is the end of what christian of what rather worldly love promises in this love is contentment in this love is satisfaction and satiation 1 Corinthians is a description of the love that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit have for one another and have for us. So, friends, as we go forward, don't worry, I'm almost done. Now that all the children have left. (laughs) Do an evaluation of yourself. And don't just ask yourself, am I just or righteous? Because that's not the point of the passage today. Ask yourself, am I loving? For if you're loving, then you will have righteous deeds. That's the granting of them that Jesus is talking about and that Revelation is talking about. Ask yourself, am I loving as Jesus commands in 1 Corinthians? And what's the fruit of that? Do I see the fruit of righteousness in my own interactions with people, in my relationships? And when you answer no, as you should, as I do, because if we're honest, there's always a part where we're not being righteous, just, or loving, (laughs) ask yourself, why not? Why not? Logically, there's three answers to that question. Number one, do I have access to that love? Romans 5.5 says, yes, you do. So check that one off. Question number two, do I want to love like this? Well, you should. Jesus has commanded it. But do you? That's an action of the will. That's the decisive part. So, that question could be yes or no. And question number three, what energy and time am I putting into worldly love versus Christian love? That's the tricky one. What energy or time in my life am I putting into worldly love versus Christian love or charity. Because here's the thing. Worldly love will displace charity if we let it. It's part of that war that goes on in us. Worldly love is the natural one. Supernatural love is the one that has to be poured into us but that we have to grasp and constantly put into practice. That third question is a prickly one, isn't it? Because most of us, over time, slip back into some kind of worldly love. And so this is my challenge to you. Be mindful of what and how you're loving. And like last week, that challenge does come with a promise. Look at Revelation again, chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Here's the promise. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. You see, that's not a command, it's a description. That if, in fact, we are asking for this love, it will be given and manifest in our lives. And with it will come those righteous deeds of the saints. Look at the rest of the passage. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for that fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. As usual, the world has it completely backwards. Do you want justice and righteousness? Love. Love first. Don't seek after justice and righteousness without love. And you can't seek that without Christ. God loves you and I and all human beings. He created us to love Him and to love one another in righteousness and justice. He gives us love so that we can love Him and one another. He grants you, He has granted you, Christian, the ability to clothe yourself in righteous deeds and proceed from love. Stop running after every desire. Quit running around naked. (laughs) And run after Christ. He clothed and settled in His love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.